Hi, I'm Peter. I'm going to be reading Revelation 21. That's page 1,230. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three great gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall, and it was a hundred and forty-four cubits thick by man's measurement which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. 
The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Good day, folks. Well, tonight, uh, you're going to need a Bible. We're flicking to about five different passages. It would be great if you have one. I'm just going to give you 30 seconds now that they are scattered around the room. If you can't find enough in your pew, just beg, borrow, or steal one from someone near you. Uh, if you have a news sheet, there's some space on there to write stuff down. See, we left a whole page of lines on the back if you're that sort of person. You don't have to. It would be great to have a Bible, and I'm going to pray for us as we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark as to who you are and what your purpose for this creation is. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, and we ask that by his Spirit uh, you might be with us now as we read your word. And we ask that you would teach us uh, and let us see this world as it really is. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Have you ever had one of those weeks when you haven't really had a plan, where you just kind of ran from one thing to the next, uh, the urgent totally overtook what was important? You know, that cheesy saying, failing to plan is planning to fail. It's the week that kind of summed that up. Uh, Most Thursday nights, my wife Leah and I sit down uh, at a table with a diary or a computer and kind of try and work out what's coming up in the next kind of 10 days so we can just have some concept of what a household of five people uh, might be able to achieve or not over those, those days. If we don't plan, life just rebounds from one random event to another. Uh, if we are going to grow our family and our relationship in any meaningful way in the long term, we've got to, we've got to have a plan. It kind of grates against every fibre of my being because I like just being spontaneous. But this is how life is. If you don't have a plan, you just rebound from one thing to the next. Now, if you're writing stuff down and you want to leave in about 30 seconds, let me tell you the whole point of this creation to new creation sermon. God has a plan. He is committed to dwelling with his creatures. God is committed to dwelling with his creatures, those he has created. And that's the story of the Bible from the beginning through the cross of Jesus to the end. Uh, Naturally, we're going to start at the end. Because if you know where you're going, you kind of see how it all fits together. So with that Bible you got, uh, thanks Pete and Charlie for reading. We're going to start in Revelation 21. And so you're going to see this plan of God is, well, he has a plan, and it's a plan that has him deeply committed to dwelling with his creatures. Uh, Now, we've read this passage before in church. You've probably read it recently. But that's okay, because there's stuff to be reminded about. Now, what did you remember, or what did you think about this creation as we went through Revelation 21? It's on page 1230, 1230. <coughs> Just some things I want to remind you about this new creation. Uh, starting in verse 1, uh, when John looks, and it's a vision he's got, the book of Revelation is kind of like a comic book in some sense. It, it paints a picture, so I'm meant to be taken as a kind of science book, but more like a a caricature of what's going to happen in the end. And this is the end. 
the very end, what God is working towards. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, the first thing to notice is that there are some things that are the same and some things that are different. What's the same? Well, there is a heaven and an earth. Has that ever struck you before? That God's plan is that there still be an earth and there still be a heaven. It's not like the new place is totally different, just like a, a glob or just clouds or just earth or just heaven. There's a new heaven and a new earth. There's a new everything. It's, it's the same. There's a continuity there. The same thing is that God is dwelling with his people. One of the things that's the same is that God is dwelling with his people. It's there in verse 3. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They'll be his people and he will be their God. We're going to see that that was the case in Genesis. That was kind of the case all the way through the people. That was the case in Jesus and this is the case in heaven. God is dwelling with his people. This is the project that God is committed to. Being with you. Being with us, or to put it the right way, having his creatures with him, because this is his creation. But there are some new things about the new heaven and the new earth, unsurprisingly. Have a look at verse 4. Now, I can't really comprehend this because it's so outside of my experience. And I don't know what your last kind of 12 months has been like, but I can pretty much guarantee that all the things that are in verse 4 have happened to you or someone you know in the last little while. Verse 4, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain, for the old order has passed away. Like... I can't even imagine that. Can you imagine a life without pain? You know, for, for a princess who's grown up in a castle with every one of her whims catered for, uh, you might not realise that, and I'm quoting from a cheesy old movie, The Princess Bride, uh, life is pain. Anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to sell you something. Life is pain. Now, I've got, a, I've got a six-year-old boy, Josh. He's in first grade at the moment. He's just learning what the playground is like. And one of the things, you know, mate, it sucks, but you're going to get hurt. It's just that's what life is like. That's what this life is like. Everyone you know is going to die unless the Lord returns. You will mourn. There will be pain as long as this creation continues. But in the new creation, no mourning, no crying, no pain. Like, I kind of, I can't tell you anymore except that it's, it's new. It's a new thing that God is doing and it's got to do with him dwelling with his people. It's a, it's a totally new start where the things that characterise this creation aren't bound up in it. In the same way as this creation just is this way, that creation just is that way. It's perfect. Now, there's a bunch of other random stuff in Revelation 21. And if you want to ask me questions about gemstones, 
cubits and other things. I'm more than happy to chat to you afterwards. Just notice in verse 15 and 16, the angel who walks around with the gold measuring tape. For the maths nerds, 12,000 stadia in length, width and height. It's a cube, right? And if, you, if you've been reading the Old Testament really carefully, you go, oh, a cube. Yeah, that's what the Holy of Holies in the temple was like. Yeah, it's the kind of the only cube in the Old Testament is the temple. And, oh, in the new creation, there's a temple. Well, no, there's not a temple. There's a cube. But the whole of, the whole of this place, this new creation, is cubic, or at least in description. The point is, this is where God is. At the moment, you're not with God. He's not here. It's written, written on the wall. He's risen. He's not here. I'm kind of blocking it, but it's written on the wall there. God is not physically present here, but in the new creation, he is. For Israel in the Old Testament, you could be in the presence of God if you went into that cubic place, the place where God dwelt. For a while it was a tent, you know, the tabernacle that moved around in the desert. Wherever God went, his people camped around him. And one guy could go in there once a year, the high priest, and he had to purify himself from all sin to come into the presence of God, but... That became the temple. Same thing. that The priest used to have a rope tied around his ankle in case he did something wrong and was scorched by the holiness of God. You could come in, one guy once a year could come into the presence of God, but now, because God is committed to dwelling with his people, the new creation is the temple. See, verse 22, I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And it's not just a place for God's people Israel, those physical descendants of the man Abraham that God made those promises to of land, descendant, blessing, and blessing to all the world. No, it's for the nations. See, verse 26, the glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. It's not just that God's picked one little favourite people and he's going to bless them and forget everyone else. No, the new creation is where God welcomes anyone and everyone who sees him as God, who treats him as God. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Just a, a snapshot. We're going to drift back into Genesis 1, but we're just going to make a quick pit stop on page 745 in Isaiah 66, just to get that picture of the nations. Come with me to Isaiah 66. It's always been God's plan to include all the nations. Isaiah 66 is on page 745. Capture this vision. It's in the Old Testament before Jesus. It's always been God's intention as part of his created order to have people from everywhere as part of it. Verse 20 of Isaiah 66, page 745. Talking about the nations. They will bring all your brothers from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord on horses, chariots, wagons, mules and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of the Lord in ceremonially clean vessels. And you notice it goes on to talk about new heavens and new earth. It's always been God's plan as he's committed to his creatures to have people from everywhere there. That's why you look around this room, there's people from everywhere here. It's part of God's plan. Now, I said we were heading to Genesis 1. See, there's three passages out of five already. You're kicking this. Good work, team. Page 1, come there with me. 
What does the beginning of the Bible have to tell us about this project that God has? From creation to new creation? Well, the beginning tells us just what we've seen already in Revelation, that God is deeply committed to dwelling with his people. What were you reminded out of Genesis 1 as Charlie read it for us? Uh, I'm not sure how long it's been since you've read Genesis 1. Just a reminder, like Revelation, not really designed as a science textbook to tell you in what order and how far apart these things happened, but it's actually to tell you about God. That's the subject of the first sentence. In the beginning, God. That actually tells us something about the story of the Bible. It's a book, not about you and about me, although we are included. This is... From the beginning, about God. And it's worth just pausing and saying, uh, as Christians, as people who meet at church each week, we see each other and we don't see God. We can be kind of forgetful in realising that this is not actually about us. One of the things that's profoundly disturbing about the Bible is that although it says lots of things about me and you and how much we are loved by God, we're not at the centre of the story. Because in the beginning, and in the end, and really in the middle, with Jesus, it's all about God. If we do things during this church service, week to week, that make you think that religion or following Jesus is about people, we should stop doing that, and you should tell us to stop. Because we want to draw your attention to God, who was there in the beginning. It's his purpose that we must get in line with if we're going to live well in his world. That's kind of the point of realising that we're part of a created order. And that's what God does. In the beginning, what does he do? Verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Again, I like creating things. I like, I like cooking. And when I cook... I like putting things together and making something new. I like making up new sprinkles to go on top of my pork belly so the crackling gets super crunchy and crispy and tasty. Uh, my son Josh likes making his own wheat picks in the morning. Uh, he walks into the kitchen and he gets out the wheat picks off the shelf and he puts them in a bowl and puts brown sugar and milk on them and there he's got his breakfast. He's kind of created breakfast. What he doesn't do is walk into the kitchen and go, wheat picks. He doesn't create like that. See, in this case, the idea of creating out of nothing is a word that describes something that only God does. You and I can create. We can make stuff. It's one of the great things about being human, isn't it? We can do new things. We can put stuff together in ways that they haven't been put together before. Not just talking about Lego, but all sorts of things. It's a great part of creation that we get to create. But we don't create like God creates. We have to create with stuff that's already there. God created when in the beginning it was just God. See, the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. The deep waters of this picture, not of kind of raging chaos, but just emptiness. 
And into that dark, into that stillness, God speaks. When God speaks, the things that he creates are good. If, if you're listening, when Charlie read it, if you're reading along, what's the, the phrase that comes every time? And God said, let there be, and there was, and it was good. And then you turn over the page, turn over the page, to, to day six, and the end, verse 31, and God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. You meant to go, oh, not just good, very good. And there was morning, there was evening, the sixth day. When God creates, he creates by speaking out of nothing, and it's good. And you've got to feel that, right? Creation's good. Now, there's been a history of Christianity where we think that spiritual stuff is great, and physical stuff is bad. It's just not that way, because God had a good creation, God made a good creation. Now, we've managed to twist it in all sorts of bent and broken ways. We're kind of experts at that, by nature. But God is committed to his plan of a physical creation. More on that in a minute. Look back at verses 26 and 27 with me. When God speaks, notice, you remember verse 1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, this idea that although God is one, there's something more than that going on. In verse 26, then God said, let us... Now let me, let us, make man in our image, in our likeness. Genesis gives us hints of what is reality in the creation that God brings to bear. In the beginning, God is not just one. There is one God, but he is Father, Son and Spirit as the story unfolds. When when we discover in verse 27 that God says, God created man in his own image... In the image of God we're created, male and female, he created us. It's a reminder of the relational part of God that existed before we were around. Why is that important? God didn't make us because he needed friends. Like it's great to talk about, Jesus says, you know, you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus calls his disciples brothers and friends because they are. But friends, the primary reality is that God does not need us. In this creation, we are creatures and he is the creator. Yes, we are made in his image. We are made for relationship, like God is relationship. We are made to rule. Did you see that? Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. You can only do that if there's male and female. And subdue it. Rule. You rule. Like, that's who you are. Because you're made in the image of God, it's not just that you're awesome, although, you know, to varying degrees. Um, Your job on earth is to rule it. That's part of the creation mandate. Take control. Do Do what God wants in this world. Be fruitful. It doesn't mean just have fruit. Just like do good stuff. It's the same as Ephesians 2 verse 10. We're created in Christ as God's workmanship to do good, to be fruitful. That's what you're here for. Go, do good. That's just being who you were created to be. You were born 
not as Delta said, to try. You were born to rule. Born to rule. You are in control of your life. Now, I know it doesn't feel like that sometimes, but as a creature in God's world, you are actually in control. You are responsible for the things that you choose to do. As we said in the confession, you made all things and you call everyone to account. Because God made us, he owns us. Because God knows us, he can call us to account. What's going to happen? This is a project that God has in the beginning. It's a garden, yep, but it's moving to a city. Now, you know, sometimes you have the idea that what God's doing in the new heaven is just kind of recreating the garden. Ba-bow. No. God has got something bigger and better in mind. Not that there's anything wrong with gardens. All in favour of gardens. But God's plan is to dwell with his people, with his creatures. And it's, it's a city. The new creation is a city with Jesus at the centre. The last thing to recognise from Genesis 1 is that we are we're creatures. It's just easy to forget. We are not little creators. We can create stuff from the stuff that already exists, but by nature, you and I are creatures in the world of a creator. It's good for us to do what our maker, our designer, designed. Life works best when you live under God's rule. Not a popular thought, but there it is. We're creatures. Now these words, in the beginning, God created. Kind of are the markers of this big beginning and ending. You've seen the ending, new creation. You've seen the start, creation. God begins a project where he's deeply committed to dwelling with his creatures. That's good. Now what happens in the middle? Well, you kind of know the story, don't you? It doesn't take very long, Genesis 3, for things to go pear-shaped in the good garden. And the story of the Old Testament is not just more creations or recreations, but God working to dwell with his people. And everything that he tries, saving them, giving them good commands to teach them how to live freely as his people, kings, prophets, judges, laws, it all kind of works for a bit and then goes pear-shaped because we are imperfect creatures. And so we come to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Church Bibles, page 1049. And it makes sense to go to John 1 after you've read Genesis 1. It's like walking into a cave. There's just these beautiful echoes of Genesis 1 in John 1. John chapter 1, page 1049. John's one of the guys who kind of paints a portrait of Jesus in this biography, this gospel of telling the life of Jesus. The four gospel writers do it in different ways. Matthew starts with the genealogy, tracing back to Abraham to show how Jewish Jesus was. Luke includes a genealogy that goes all the way back to Adam, so that Jesus follows in his footsteps. But listen to how John starts. And we just come out of Genesis 1, you can't miss it, right? John 1, 1. In the beginning, do you get it? In the beginning, 
In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's, it's poetic. Whoever the Word is, and it's Jesus, is distinct and still part of God. It's like the Spirit hovering over the waters. Distinct, but part of God. Verse 3, what's, what's happening in this creation? Well, through Jesus, through the Word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's you, my friend. You were made by Jesus. Science tells you a lot of things, but it doesn't tell you this. You were made by Jesus. You are his. He has maker's rights over you. Verse 4, in Jesus was life. And that life is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. See the echoes of Genesis 1? Light shining in darkness. Jesus is a word like God says, let there be light. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness hasn't understood it. That's kind of the, the first half of the Bible summed up right there. God doesn't leave his creation and his creatures to our own devices. He doesn't stand at a distance and just kind of chuck it in the bin and start afresh. God's so committed to dwelling with his people that, verse 10, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, travesty, the world didn't recognize him. You read the Gospels and we, we read it with this kind of blasé, as we grow, as we see the disciples kind of fail to get Jesus. Though the world was made by Jesus, when he came to earth, we didn't recognize him for who he was. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. It was his own that put Jesus to death. Yet, and this is you in verse 12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the offer that's open to you today, tonight. You can become a child of God through Jesus. Now, if you've been a Christian forever, good. But if you're not sure where you stand before God, maybe tonight's the night. You were made by God. Perhaps you've ignored him. It's personal. God is into relationship and it's possible to live in his world and not recognize him or recognize him and ignore him. You hate it when you're ignored. It's personal. We live in God's world and it's possible and natural for us to just turn our backs on him and ignore him. Yet to all who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, the king who saves, that's what Christ means. He gave the right to become children of God. Turn to Jesus, put your trust in him and treat him like the king he is. You become a child of God. See, God didn't stand at a distance to his creation. God is so committed to it that verse 14, the word became flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You remember Thomas? Like in John's Gospel in chapter 20, Thomas says about the risen Lord Jesus, I'm not going to believe it 
unless I can put my finger in his hands, put my hand in his side. He's like, yeah, right, good one, as if Jesus rose from the dead. You've got to love Thomas. Jesus physically came to earth and physically rose from the dead. It's why Jesus can say to his disciples, yes, although, although God is spirit, and you've got to worship him in spirit and truth, John chapter 4, also, I'm going to a place to prepare a place for you, John 14. And that place, it's physical. Heaven's not just cloudy and foggy and airy. Real creation, new heavens and new earth. We know because we know Jesus, who is physical. The word became flesh. God is committed to dwelling with his creation, with his creatures. God loves his creatures and willing to become one with them. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be creaturely this side of the new creation. Have you thought about that? Jesus shows us what it is to be properly a creature this side of the new creation. Not saying that Jesus was created. We say the creed, eternally begotten from the Father. God from God, light from light. Jesus was not created, but he shows us what it's like to be properly living in the creation, to trust in God, to treat people and the earth like it's meant to be treated, as if they were eternal and matter. And yet we're still creatures. John 13, at the start of John 13, Jesus knew that he'd come from God and was returning to God and all power had been given to him. So, what does it look like to be a creature? To rule? He gets up from the table, wraps a towel around his waist and washes his disciples' feet and says, you're going to follow me? Live like this. To be creatures is to recognise that we rule And to imitate the God who created us. To serve those around us, certain of what is to come. The last place we're going to go tonight talks just a little bit more about what it means to think about this new creation. Flick a bit forwards to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, page 1145. As I was thinking about how to kind of land this sermon and leave you with something to think about, my temptation was to say, and this is, this is your place within it. This is your place within the creation and the new creation. But the more I thought about it, the more I realised that was just what I wanted. I wanted to be put at the centre of all of this and to be reminded that God loves me and has a plan for me, that I'm part of this creation and I've got a place in the new creation. Now, all that stuff's true. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 and realise that what matters is being in Christ. This is a great chapter, by the way. You could do well to memorise the whole thing. It's got just some great phrases, great ideas about being certain. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll read from verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? This is how to be part of the new creation. God dwelling with his people. That's what he's committed to. From the beginning to the end, through Jesus 
It's kind of about you, but it's actually more about Christ. See, the word that spoke creation into being is the word that became flesh, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, who ascended to God's right hand and sits there on the throne. The Lamb of God, Christ, is at the centre of God's creation from beginning to end. Get with the program. Live in Christ. Live in this creation, knowing it's good, knowing it's broken, knowing that it's heading somewhere. With all that God has made you in your goodness to relate and rule and be fruitful, do it. Once you know who you are, you know how to live. You're in Christ. You're part of this creation. You're part of the new creation. The old has gone. And it's kind of hanging around and we're shaking it off. And by the power of the Spirit, just trusting God to do his work in us until the new comes. But the old is gone. The new has come. From creation to new creation, God's plan to dwell with his creatures will not be thwarted. And Jesus shows us that very thing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, enlarge our vision, we pray, of what you are doing in this world. Help us to know you better, uh, to see ourselves as we really are, uh, so that we'll know how to live. Uh, we thank you again for your words, uh, for the Bible, and we thank you for your son, the word, who was made flesh. Uh, we thank you for him, that he has shown us what it is to live well in your creation and to live in certain knowledge of the new creation. Make us like him, we pray, Lord. By the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, continue to change us, Lord, that we more and more reflect who we're going to be in him. And we pray this, that your name would be honoured. Amen.